We are in the series, we kicked it off last week, how the Lord gives us a word every year for the whole year, and it's the word invest. Now, immediately when some people think invest, they think monetarily. That's not what we're talking about. Though it does encompass that, that is not the whole of it. What happens in invest is this, is that God has called us to be disciplers, not disciples. We've come to that conclusion in Scripture, Matthew 28. He said, go make disciples of all ethne, or that's the Greek word where we get the word nations, ethnicity. He says, go make disciples of all ethne. So God is calling us to be disciples, disciplers, not disciples. And so as I'm wrapping my mind around that, and I'm trying to think through this, and the Lord's been really pressing on my heart, the question is why? God, why do you want us to be disciplers and not just disciples? We see a lot of people that call themselves disciples of Christ, but we don't see a lot of people who are disciplers. When you look at the New Testament and you get into Acts, and then you get into the letters of Paul, and then you get into the Catholic letters, the general letters, you read those letters and you sit there and, and sense, and in Hebrews and James and, and, and John, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you read those letters and you're going, what in the world? Like these people were living it out in such a way that Christianity was not just a pool that they dove in, that it was a river that they flowed in. And so we're, we're called to be in this movement, this, this river. So why, why are, are we to be disciples? The power of the gospel, I'm convinced, the power of the gospel doesn't just affect us but everyone around us. That's what disciples do. So when the power of the gospel just affects us, like the African believer said, that we now just become the kingdom of salvation or the kingdom of saved. But we're not supposed to be the kingdom of saved, we're supposed to be the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we talked about last week, that the power of the gospel, that yes, Jesus Christ, he paid the price for our sins, dying on the cross. And I go through this every week, so you're going, John, you're going through it again? Yes, because the gospel is, it can never, ever, ever be said enough. And so he died on the cross for our sins, and so he paid our penalty. And because he paid our penalty, we get his righteousness. We can't earn salvation. We can't do enough to keep it. We can't do anything to lose it. We get it for free, and we get it because of His love. And all that is expressed by Him putting the Holy Spirit within us. So we have the presence of God, the very deposit of God within us, the Holy Spirit, and He is leading us in this movement. And then God's at work in all these other places in our context. And he's, when he's at work and he reveals it and our hearts are open and our eyes are open, that's inviting us to go and join him in that and make a difference. To take the kingdom of heaven and push back the darkness and take the light of the gospel, the power of the gospel of a changed life that changes lives around him. Change your job, change your finances, change your relationships, change your career to a vocation. All that stuff, God does that through the gospel. Whereas the Puritans used to say, there's a difference between the gospel of salvation versus the gospel of the kingdom. Because the gospel is a movement, it is the kingdom of heaven pressing in. That's why Jesus in his first sermon in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first things that we get that Jesus would say in a, in a public form, he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of heaven has come to make a difference. He has come to make a difference. That's the power of the gospel. We just don't get saved and then we just try to live a good life and so people can see maybe this difference between us. No, we are actually out there making a difference, throwing ourselves into the cultural context around us and making a difference where we are. So the kingdom of heaven, and that's the point of the kingdom of heaven. That's the point of being the gospel. The gospel brings life. 
The kingdom of heaven brings life to everyone around them. You know, you've got a lot of vampires in your life, right? Right? You got just those life suckers. Y'all with me? They just suck the life right out of you. Uh, then you got a bunch of zombies around you that just don't know anything. They just exist. Quite boring people, if you don't mind me. Just, just, I don't want to be a part of the zombie apocalypse because I, you know, I, don't, I don't really want to be around dead people. I like to be around people that are on fire, that something's happening in their life that I go, ooh, that inspired me. See, I'm having a lot of trouble. So, um, Coach Chadwell, I, I, I need your help. I need you to counsel me for a moment. And, you know, we're friends, so I, I want you to help me. Um, I'm, really having, I'm really struggling. Can I, can, I, can I talk to you? Can y'all be my counselors today? Oh, yeah. I mean, some of you are like, I've already been there, John. You need more than us. But anyway, go ahead. That's why I'm talking on this side. I know about that side especially. Somebody put all these little, like, things in my Bible Sunday night. See, they're still flying. <laughs> winner, winner, center, dinner. Uh, so, um, so here's my struggle. So when I, my struggle is, is that the friend that God used me to help get a coaching job who played college ball with me is interviewing for the Vikings. You know, friends a long time. Um, played college ball together. My wife and his wife played field hockey together. Just been really, just great people. But my struggle is this. My struggle is, God, why do you call me into something? Why do you call me into something that I don't feel like anybody knows who I am? And then I look at this person's life. And everybody's going to know who he is that likes sports. Not only is everybody going to know who he is, but he's going to make quite a lot more money than I will ever make. Can I get a witness? Right. And so my point is, I, I've been fighting this week being bitter. I've been fighting hard this week. I've been struggling with it. Because I've been struggling like, God, why did you call me? I mean, it seems like an awful lot you've asked me, but you don't ask an awful lot of other people. Hmm? You ever felt that way? You ever felt where God asked a lot more of you than he did of others? And I really struggle with that, considering, and this is, this is uh, God just used me to help get him a job, whatever else. Bottom line is this, that when the power of the God, I struggle, God, why is it that people are going to know him, and I'm just, I'm over here and nobody knows. But then the Holy Spirit just kind of speaks to me in a powerful way and says, John, in the world, people of the world are known. But people that follow me in the world are unknown. Because I don't want people to see you. I want them to see me. And that's the power of the gospel. That's what the gospel does. We're not just the kingdom of the saved. This is not just a family, a bunch of saved people. When you go to your high school and you go to your work and you go to your class and you go in your, your sport or whatever it is you do or you go in your relationship and all of a sudden just, you just, life just kind of winds through itself and we just end up at some spot called heaven and then everything is great and we see all the people we loved and that's, no, no, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that changes the dynamics for me. If the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then when I worship God now, that somehow miraculously my prayers and my praise go up in front of the throne room of heaven. So my father who has gone on to be with Jesus is in the throne room of heaven praising God. Somehow our prayers are connected, our praise is connected to the father. And somehow majestically and miraculously our worship is together. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I want to live like that every day. 
so I can't go on and be bitter. God, you used me to help this person. You used me to help this person. And you see where they went? And you see where I am? What about me? I'm sick and tired of helping others. Why don't you help me? And God says, I didn't call you to help you. I called you to help me. So here we go at it. This is what changes it. The, the, we bring life. We bring life to people because of the gospel within us. John 10, the last part says where Jesus says, I have come that they may have what, saints? Life. See, that life is the point. We should have life. We should have life. If the gospel is living within us and, the, and we're living out, what does it look like to the kingdom of heaven? We're called to something. So we're living for the name of Jesus and our, our attitude is different. Our relationships are different. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and people say, wow, this lifestyle, this context, this effect that this person is having is totally different than the effect that this person is having. Our effect is eternal. This means that a Christian life is, is, is eternal. Listen to this. If the point is life, then you imagine in the book of Acts when they came across Christians, when they came across Christians at a funeral, there was joy. Because the point is life. The point is life. And so I want to get to that. Um, if you don't mind, a lot of you have already seen this because it's been around Facebook. And everything, but I, th this, this clip that we're going to show is not even, I don't even know if it's Christian. There's one salient uh, that's a fancy word, hidden point that the quarterback at Alabama uh, makes and says, well, maybe it's from above. And so it, it gives the illusion of it. I don't know if anybody's in this, I don't know if anybody's in here saved, but what I'm saying is, is that the point is life and that living a life other than for yourself, all of a sudden you begin to make a difference. So if you don't mind, John, if we can just kind of look at this clip, bear with me on it. Some of you have seen it, so act like you've seen it again. And let's just see what the Lord does with it.
You see how he said it was his duty. As Christians, we don't flow in duty. Uh, we flow in loving obedience to the Father. And so you saw how one person, because had life, had a, a position, had authority, and he took that and bestowed that on someone else and brought that person into a new life. Now, I know that we're talking in the realm of sports, but how much more should it be in Jesus? How much more we who have the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We that have the life, the eternal life, the kingdom of heaven now, because it's at hand. So we have this new life, this new calling, this new sense of direction. We have all this inside of us. And so how much more can we impart life to others through the power of the Holy Spirit? 
And so I looked at that and I thought it would be a great segue, a great lead in for where we want to go. So here's the one point. You can find this point on Facebook at Summit Charleston, uh, excuse me, at Summit Church, or you can go to the website at summitcharleston.com. Here, all the notes are there for you. Here it is, the links, everything's there for you. Here's the point. When we invest, that is, we become disciples. When we invest, then the gospel is not announced, it is demonstrated. The gospel, and I'm thankful to Alvin Reed for that, 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 those words there at the end, because it's not just announced, it is demonstrated. And so we demonstrate the gospel because we're living outside of ourselves. Remember, Christianity is not a pool where we get stale and stagnant, but it is a river that flows, with the boundaries being the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, those boundaries that we flow in. And so we walk in that. So the question is, how can we invest? And I've been struggling with this concept. Uh, I believe the Lord will speak to you and give you a plan. I mean, I didn't want to come as a pastor and just say, okay, here's all these different ways that you can invest. Yeah, well, we have those. We have obviously the discipleship methods through Bible studies and serving and through missions. We have those, and we're never going to change those. And through prayer, that's all going to be there through children's ministry, through youth ministry. We talked about that in detail this morning, that the older should be serving the younger. And should we, our goal and our focus should be raising up this next generation because we're pouring into each other at different levels of discipleship. But how do we do that? How do we get to the point where we invest? Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at that passage, I think, and you know we're going through the book of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 3, let's look at verses 13 through 17 and just kind of take a glance at just a simple way of investing, the way Jesus invested. And I know this is an oversimplification maybe to some of you, but for to me it's profound because I think when there's simplicity, then it's easy to understand and we can move forward in it and rest in it. So here's, here's my point. Let's read Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. So Jesus goes to John the Baptist, John the baptizer. But John tried to stop him, and I've, mm, I've struggled with that. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Now let's read the context. Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Will you pray with me? Father, Make this so clear to us today how you want to invest in our obedience. And we commit everything and all that we do for your glory, which is Jesus. He's the face of your glory. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15 tells us. So I'm begging you to do something in us today, to move us to what you want us to obey. Some of us have been asking, some of us have been wondering, which way should I go, to the right, left, uh, forward, sit, uh, go back, what should I do? God, I pray that you would speak something powerful to us today, and then we would have the faith and the courage and strength to know that we've heard from you, and we would walk in it. Lord, we love you, Lord. Please forgive us. Please forgive me. My sins are many, 
And I don't want to grieve your spirit in any way so that we can walk in this. In Jesus' name, we all said what? Amen. So here's the point. The point is when we invest, then the gospel is not announced, it is demonstrated. So let me, let me break it down for you. The, the, here's how we demonstrate obedience. I, I love this. The, the, way we, the, the first simple step of investing is we just obey. It's just simple obedience that I just love the Lord more than I love uh, what my goals are. Going back to my struggle, what I, I just had a little dialogue with Coach Chowell, my struggle is this. Instead of trying to just go ahead and make my path, I just lovingly obey the Lord. And the Lord is going to raise up who He wants to raise up, tear down who He wants to tear down. But my job is to be faithful to Him. And my fulfillment in this world is not based on the accolades of the world, but my fulfillment is based when He says, well done. So my first act of demonstrated obedience is my next step becomes my way. Let me show you what I mean by that. Sounds kind of fuzzy. Look at verse 15. Jesus answered, allow it for now, because John is struggling with this baptism. Allow it for now, because this is the what, saints? The way. Notice what Jesus was saying. My simple act of obedience is the way. It's, it's the way. In other words, some of you are saying, which way do I go? Which, which way do I go? Where do I go? And I want to give you an answer today from the Lord that the Lord wanted me to tell you. Here's what you, all you need to do. Just take the next step of obedience. Just what he's telling you today, just do it. And that will take you on the way, the truth, and the life, the path that Jesus is on as we follow him eventually into the Holy of Holies. So it is simple. If we're asking what our way is, our next way is obedience. And I don't know what God is asking you to obey today. Like, God didn't give me that. I, I, maybe he will as, if I get a chance to pray over you. Maybe some of you, he'll give us that. But I think you know in your heart right now that God is asking you to just obey one little thing. Maybe it's, okay, I'm going to do something academically. I'm going to really give it my all even though I don't like this. Or maybe I'm going to really step out in this job. Or maybe I'm going to stay in this job. Or maybe I'm going to just step out of this relationship or step into this, whatever it might be. He's giving you, telling us something to obey today. He's telling each and every one of us, I know because the Spirit of God told me. It's something simple, but it's some of us, it's, we're paralyzed by it. So he wants us to obey in it. And so that becomes our way. And then I noticed this next step, and I'm done with this. Here we go. It says the second fact of demonstrated obedience is this, is it reveals, it reveals who we trust. When we take that step of obedience, what comes our path that God wants us to walk in, this is the way walking in. Like he said in Isaiah, don't turn to the right or to the left. This is the way you'll hear the whisper on your ear. This is the way, just a simple, simple step of obedience. When we do that, we proclaim the kingdom of heaven at hand because we're saying we trust Jesus more than we trust anybody else. Because sometimes when we obey, the world goes, you're crazy. Right? I can get a witness on that one. Some of you are going, I don't even know how I'm going to pay for this class. I don't even know how I'm going to stay in this job. I don't even know what you want me to do, God, but you won't release me. And my lack of peace causes me to stay here. And I don't know what's going to happen. But let me say this. When we trust the Lord, we scream the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We proclaim the gospel in a powerful way. And I've always struggled with how John the Baptist tried to stop Jesus. Why did John try to stop him? Go back to that verse. Verse 14. After Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, verse 14, then he says, but John tried to stop him. And my, look, there goes these little things flying out of here. 
So John tried to stop him, and I've struggled with that. And as I look at that, why did he try to stop? Why didn't John just obey what Jesus said? I mean, think about it. John, in my opinion, is this mature believer. I mean, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit had come upon John in the womb. John is this great and famous guy. I mean, why is he trying to stop me? And then I thought about, well, hey, John Davis, me, I try to stop God all the time. God tries to tell me to do something. I go, no, wait, wait, God, I, I got it better. I got a better idea. Right? And so I'm, I began to do that. John was a mature believer. And because this happened to John, if he tried to stop Jesus, the Lord showed me it can happen to anybody. I'll show you this. Acts chapter 13, verse 25. John will put that up there. You don't have to turn there. Keep your finger there in Matthew 3, but write it down or make a note of it. Like really glean this, soak in this, soak in the Bible because it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So John 13, 25 says this about John. Then as John was completing his life work, he said, who do you think I am? I am not the one, but look, someone is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. This is in John, I mean, excuse me, Acts chapter 13, and the Gospel of John chapter 1, we kind of see something similar. John the Baptist said, I am not worthy to untie the sandals on Jesus' feet. That's the Messiah that's coming. So then the Messiah comes to John the Baptist, and he says, I want you to baptize me. And John goes, no, I'm, I'm stopping you, but wait, I don't understand. John the Baptist is saying, in one breath, the Bible's saying that he's not even unworthy to tie the sandals on his feet. So when Jesus spoke, why didn't he obey? You ever thought about that? Why didn't he just obey? Why didn't he just go? Absolutely. I'm not, your words are so powerful. I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. Whatever you say, I'm going to do it right now. Why? I, I tried to wrestle with that. Why do I try to stop God? Why do I say, you know, God, no, 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 no. Not this way. No, I don't want to obey this way. I don't want to do that way. I don't want to obey. Uh, I, I, it wasn't like John was trying to get Jesus off of his mission. But what blocked John's obedience, I believe, was two things. And the one thing that sticks out more than anything else to me was John did not see himself as worthy. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. I am not worthy to baptize the King of kings and Lord of lords. How many times has God asked us to do something and we go, I'm not? You ever felt that way? You ever felt like when God's asked you to do something and you don't say, we, maybe you're like me, I don't say I'm not worthy. What I say is, God, I can't. I can't, I can't talk like that. I can't, God, it's too big of a task. I'll look like an idiot. If you're calling me to step out and speak something in somebody's life, like what if I fail? Like what if I look like an idiot? And then I'm comforted because I begin to look back. John's lack of worthiness was hindering his obedience to Jesus. And so today, the only call is I don't know what God is specifically saying to you, but I am saying that God is probably calling you to obey. He might be saying, stay right here. He might be saying, I want you to do this. So some of you in school, change your major. Some of you saying, I want you to commit your family to the Lord. And, and you're going, I can't because my life's not right. I just want you to know something. It's not based on you being right. It's based on Jesus being right. Some of you look around, but my life's been terrible. And I just want to say, John's giving you an opportunity. Jesus is giving you an opportunity. This is the way. Walk in it. Just take one step, one step of obedience, and proclaim the kingdom of heaven at hand by who you trust. 
John's lack of worthiness was hindering his obedience to Jesus. The Lord would show me John knew his place, but he didn't know his job. That was a good word. I just gave you something really good in the spirit. John knew his place, but didn't know his job. I know my place is I'm way, 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 way below anybody else in Scripture. I'm way down here. But sometimes, because I think I'm way down here, I can't complete what he's told me to do. Watch. I'm going I'm to build on this. John knew his place, but didn't know his job. Sometimes in our calling, we have to deal, our vocation, we have to deal directly with Jesus. I don't have a problem. This, the Spirit is just pounding me. I don't know if it's for you. It, the, I don't have a problem ministering to others, but I do have a problem ministering to Jesus. Now that was good. See, when Jesus calls you to minister to him, then it takes on total. You say, but look at my life. I'm not living right. I have things wrong in my life, God. I just can't. I mean, when, see, if God says, hey, go over here and help this person. Like, I'm not discounting. I think that was the power of God in A.J. McCarron's life to help A.J., I think it was only God. I think it was a very picture of grace and mercy and love that what the world says is unlovable. The kingdom of heaven is made up and full of people that are saying that God says you are worthy. And I'm going to bring the most popular person into your life to make you visible. And God comes into our life and makes us visible. So then all of a sudden, begin to look at that. And it says, we are always okay serving the ones we know who need it. But when God calls us to directly minister to him, we immediately look at our sins, weaknesses, inadequacies, flaws, and failures. And so we say, we can't do it. But here's what the Lord showed me. If you look back in that verse, verse 14, but John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. In other words, here's what he's saying. Jesus you are sinless, and I am sinful. This is a baptism of repentance. This is a bab. and Jesus, you have nothing to repent from, but I have a lot to repent from, Jesus. So you should be baptizing me. But this is what's beautiful. Jesus takes it, and he makes this baptism beautiful. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. Verse 15, Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all what saints. Let me hear you say it. Righteousness. For Jesus, this was not a baptism of sin, a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of righteousness. We have the righteousness of Jesus. That is the gospel. So when we stand in front of the Lord, it's not going to be by any works so that no man can boast, Ephesians chapter 2. But we're going to be standing in front of the Lord, looking at the Lord, and the Lord pierces right to our very heart, to the very spirit and soul of who we are. And he sees the righteousness of Jesus, and we are saved. Because Jesus is right, we can be right. So when God calls you to obedience, guess what? You can't be wrong. The outcome is not on you. The onus is not on you. The onus is on us. Excuse me, on Jesus. It is not on us. It's on Jesus. And so what happens when we walk in that, when we go out there, we are just being righteous. We're just doing what God tells us to do. And that freed me up in a powerful way. So only by trusting Jesus will I overcome any weakness. Think about, think about people who try to stop God. Uh, Moses in Exodus 3.11, right? But Moses asked God, who am I? I went back through Scripture and I looked at that phrase, who am I, just in my uh, Hallman Christian Standard Bible, just in this version. I didn't go in any other versions because there will be a lot more. But just, and I went through the whole Bible 
just looking through, uh, through the computer where it pulls it up, through the whole Bible, all the ones where it says, who am I? Just here's some examples. It says, but Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And what keeps us from obedience is when we go, who am I, instead of saying, who are you? Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, 18, when, when King David was told to build the temple there in, in, on the mount in Jerusalem, that, uh, after he had that dream, then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence, and said to this, this is what he said, who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? But one thing I love about King David, by him saying, who am I, that was just a place of humility, not a place of being a wall to stop him from serving. So my point in this today is that God isn't so much interested in us and our brokenness as he is, he is interested in us and our obedience. You know the old illustration about the broken pots. The man would go up to the mountain and get the water, and he would come back down from the mountain, and he'd have the pole, and he'd have the broken cisterns, the broken pots. And as he would go down the mountain, um, all of a sudden they, they were broken, and, and, and the water would come out. And they would say, but you're wasting, look how you're wasting your time. By the time you get down, look at all, look at all the, all the water's gone. There's nothing to use the water here. All the water's gone. But then he turned around and said to him, he said, but yes, the water might be gone down here, but look at the beautiful flowers it made all the way up. You never know what you're going to do. In our brokenness, God can use great things and do great things. So my lack of obedience if I'm not careful, it can hinder someone from experiencing the open heaven. Because in verse 16, after Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heaven suddenly opened for him. We are under an open heaven because Jesus is under an open heaven. He is the one interceding for us in Romans chapter 8. So we are under that open heaven. But instead of saying, who am I, maybe I should be saying, here I am. Luke 9 verse 20, Jesus said this to his disciples. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I, am, that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. And that's why we have problems with so many other beliefs. Because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Oh, but John, he didn't, he didn't claim to be the Messiah in anywhere else in Scripture. He didn't claim to be God. Really? That's interesting because in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, he gets into a dialogue with these, with these learned people, with these Pharisees. And in, and in verse 53, he's talking about he's the, really the son of man, which is a messianic title. The son of David, messianic title. And they say to him in verse 53 of John, chapter 8, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? They're saying this to Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Even the prophets died. Who do you pretend to be? That's pretty strong language to the Messiah. Verse 56, he says, your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. And he saw it and rejoiced. Now that's pretty strong language. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham, then Jesus makes a claim that has staggered theologians for thousands of years. He says this, Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, what does he say, saints? That is, that is in reference to Exodus 3.14, when God said, when Moses said, who are you? And God said, I am. In fact, in the Greek, the Greek words literally says this, ego eimi in the Greek. 
ego in me. So in that passage, he says this. The word ego means I, a me means I am. So Jesus says, I, I am. That's what it says in the original language. In the New Testament, it says it. So let me put it to you, what it should be translated as. Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I, I am. That's what he said. He claimed to be God. Watch what happens. At that, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple complex. There was no doubt in their minds who he claimed to be. And so my question for us today in obedience, who do we trust Jesus to be? God is calling us to do something. So the application is this, because since the whole point is that the gospel is not just announced, it is demonstrated. We are called to demonstrate the gospel. You saw an act of kindness. You saw a demonstrated act of kindness. I mean demonstrated, and what a platform to say Jesus. And I don't care just because it was on Sports Center and they're going to try and edit out what they want. I don't know the complete conversation, but I'll say this. There are no negotiations with my God. Either he is Lord or he is a liar. He's a Lord or he is a lunatic. Or either he is Lord and my Savior. When we realize the gospel is always compelling us towards life, then we, have this, then we have a sense of calling, and we demonstrate the message. I end with this, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 16, in the same way, look what he says. You've heard this a thousand times if you've been around worship. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Now, I'm, I know I'm quoting a different version. That they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. I love what one author said. He said this, uh, John Winthrop, he was this Puritan and, and, and here he was, this governor there in, in, in Massachusetts back in, in the early years. He was a well known for his admonition and he gave his fellow colonizers in a sermon delivered aboard the flagship Arbella in 1630, when they came over. Listen to what he said. It was his admonition based on the words of Jesus who declared, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, verse 16, and glorify your Father in heaven. Winthrop's exact words were this. For we must consider that we shall be as a city on a hill. He's compelling these people, the kingdom of heaven language, that it, it, he's saying to all those people as they get ready to enter, get land on the colony, this is what he's saying. For we must consider that we shall be as a city on a hill. The eyes of all people are on us. And I had to stop right there, and that's the call of faith today. The eyes of everyone are on you. Your family, your children, their eyes are on you. Your extended family that doesn't know Jesus, their eyes are on you. The Bible says that we are a city on a hill. We are a city on a hill. That God is put us, putting us in a place for people to see us. So my bitterness towards the coach that was interviewed, uh, the interview for the Vikings, is that I feel like he's been put on a pretty big hill. And God, he's being looked up to in a pretty big way. What about me? Why can't I have it? Oh, by the way, I mean, I, I, I did help him get the job here. And God says, see, you're confused, John. You think the size of the hill is based on the fame of man. 
He says, but I'm putting you on a hill of humility. I'm putting you on a hill where, just, where people are going to look at you and say, why did you do this? Why did you do this? You could have had, why did you do this? See, the people of the eyes, the eyes of people are on you right now. Everybody is looking to us to see what do we truly believe, who do we truly trust. And our obedience will tell everybody, not our words, because the gospel is demonstrated. So today, what is God calling you to do? How is he calling you to obey him? I know some of you are going, I, what do you mean obey? Listen, it's very simple. If you get still in front of the Lord, you will hear a still voice in your heart, and he will speak to you, and you're just going to have a choice to make. And you're going to get real nervous because your flesh hates the spirit. Your flesh hates the, the Bible says they're at war. So they're going to say, your flesh is going to go, no. But the spirit of God, the more you feed the spirit of God, the more you're in the presence of God, the more you're willing to do that, you're going to say yes. Because the people, eyes of people are everywhere, are, are looking to us. He has placed us on a hill. Some of us, your hill is humility. Some of us, your hill is nothing but service. And when others succeed, then Jesus is proud of you. Some of you are out front. And that's, and that's going to be your hill. And as you show Christ, then that's your platform. But either way, whatever hill it is, Remember, everything's level at the foot of the cross. Everything is level. Whatever hill it is, the question is, will we obey? The question today is, will you obey? Nicole, I'm going to ask you to come and just kind of play over this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. Just kind of play over this. Here's the point. What are you going to do to obey the Lord today? Some of you might need to come and just kneel and ask him, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Some of you might say, God, I'm wrestling with this. I want you to, I want you to get down. Listen, why not? God is a big God. He's bigger than anything we can imagine. Why not just, some of you just say, listen, God, I'm struggling. Do you really want me to do that? Not that. But do you really want me to do, do you really want me to do that? I mean, let, listen, struggle with the Lord. But I guarantee you one thing, he'll win. The more you're willing to give up to him. Will you obey? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you that we have the privilege to obey. And you said the gospel is not just announced, but it is demonstrated. Thank you for giving that to Alvin Reed. Thank you for speaking that into my life. And thank you, Lord, for letting me be able to wrap my heart around something that's so treasurable by you. And so you're calling us today to take one step of obedience. And I don't know in here who needs to come right now and just, pray and let, and just wrestle with God. Just, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to just spend time with the Lord and say, God, I don't know what you want me to obey, but my heart is willing. And let the very Spirit of God speak. Some of you, he will speak massively about your career decision or what we would call our calling. Some of you he will speak massively about in a relationship. Some of you he will speak in a loud volume in your heart and he will say, this is the way, walk in it. He will say, this is your major, this is your career. Stay with it, stay faithful. Some of you, he will just give the word wait. And it will take all you have in the spirit to wait on Jesus.
And some of you in this room, God is calling you to a first step of obedience of salvation. Where you're struggling is Jesus, did he really call himself the Messiah? Did he really claim to be God? And today you have shown us even in the original language that Jesus called himself equal with God, the Messiah. So now we have the opportunity to obey. To say yes to him, to being our savior. We don't have to get our lives right because our, our righteousness is filthy rags. There's only one who has righteousness in front of the Father, and that is Jesus. And so maybe today is the day someone says, yes, Lord. It is my prayer that they would do that. That they would believe Jesus died on the cross. And God, that they would believe that you raised him from the dead. And they would turn and follow you and say yes to you and marry you. And your life will be their life because you came that we might have life. And they would make that known today, that they would get up out of their seat and they would let us know up front so we can begin to disciple them so that they will be a discipler. Lord, we want to invest in you. And the only way we can invest is to obey. So I pray over everyone, Lord, right now in this room that has a question that maybe they're seating, they've been in their seats and they're just struggling. What's my next step? I pray you would speak to them to just trust you and obey what you're saying. For those that are kneeling or on their face, Lord, that are just crying out to you, Lord, because I know anytime you ask us to do something, it is, takes faith because without faith it's impossible to please you. Lord, that's my prayer, that you would give them the strength and the faith to say yes. That is our prayer today. We love you, Lord. You are good. And you're not asking us to do anything that you will not be with us that you have not gone before us and that you will not move in. We love you, Lord. Today, we invest ourselves into the greatest King of all, King Jesus. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.